Hey there, welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry, and I'm currently working on the pilot script of my competition-winning TV show pitch idea, Waste World. Today's chat is with Vince Camiso, who has been in the children's content business for over 30 years, most notably founding Nine Story Media in 2002 by producing their first show, Peep and the Big Wide World. In our chat, Vince shares how everything started from his simple love of cartoons and fascination with the history of television and what it took to bring Nine Story to where it is today, which is Canada's number one independent producer and distributor of children's content employing over 1,100 employees. Vince is also going to answer questions like how to be a very successful producer, the unique business strategy that's brought Nine Story success, and where he predicts children's content to go in the future. Now, besides all this and his love and work in animation, Vince is also an avid hiker. Now, without further ado, let's jump in. Hi, Vince. Thanks so much for coming on the chat. How are you doing? Good, Terry. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I I was calling out my business degree earlier behind me because we have a very I noticed that. Yeah, very similar path. So how do you go from, you know, studying business and finance and marketing to immediately being a producer at Nickelode or sorry, Novana? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I guess to sum it up in two words, they would be happy accident. Um, I, I intended to go the mainstream business to work in a bank and to progress and become a banker, uh, hopefully get into private equity and figure that out once I got some foundational banking experience. But I, I got there and found that I didn't really enjoy it. And I left banking after about a year. And after that, I um, was thinking about what I wanted to do. And while I was thinking about that, I had a job offer for a temporary gig at Novana that was one month in length. And I thought, okay, well, let me do this and see if I want to do it. It was in, it was in the accounting department giving my business back. Okay, okay, okay. And, and in the in that department, I, I you know, it was alphabetical. It was not alphabetical. It was critical path, how a cost report filled up. So I under, started to understand how uh, animation was made. And, you know, I was, I, I enjoyed it uh, much more than I expected to because it reminded me of my love of animation from when I was a kid. When I was a kid growing up, my mother had great challenges getting me up to go to school Monday to Friday, but Saturday mornings at seven, I was in front of the TV ready to go. And um, then I found out that all those all those animations, which were only on Saturday mornings, and it's a much different world today, but yeah, no, all those animations were actually, many of them were made in Canada. I found out that Spider-Man that was on then, the voice was actually a, that of an Ottawa weatherman, those who I can't remember. And then I used to watch Rocket Robin Hood, which was only in Canada. I'm not even sure if it ever sold it to the U.S. It sold it to the U.S. I'm not even sure if you've heard of the show. Yeah, <laughs> in animation uh, history class. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm sure. Ancient animation. Oh history. no! Oh no! <laughs> I'm sure. Um, and then at 11 o'clock came Star Trek, and then finding out William Shatner's Canadian. We, uh, my parents were immigrants to Canada, so you know we all lived kind of the immigrant life, and then found out that that kind of inspired me to think that what was possible in Canada. And then, you know, you put that aside to become mainstream, you go get an education, you go become a kid, play sports, do the things you, you, you do. And then um, it felt like well, after I was at Nelvana for a while, it all, it all came rushing back. And I really, really, really loved animation. And then I moved up into, I moved into production there and produced the Magic School Bus with Scholastic which was a great experience. Oh, hey. Still close with yeah. many of the people at Scholastic because of it. And that was in the mid-90s. 
and then got to produce a show uh, called Ned's Newt. And that was one where we were actually doing all the scripts at Nelvana. That was my first experience with the, the upfront creative. And the two guys that were running, uh, that were writing the show, they're still both friends of mine, were um, Andrew Nichols and Daryl Vickers. And they're both Canadians from Oshawa. They, it's funny, they were in the UK. Both their families emigrated to Canada and to Oshawa. Their, their birthdays are a few days apart. And they became friends in Oshawa and they became writers together. And they wrote in Canada for a while in the thick of the night. And then they went to LA together as a writing team and became like writers. They wrote on many, many, many shows, many, many sitcoms. And um, before, just, just um, when I met them, they had just uh, come off of writing on Carson and they were the, what they call the monologue writers up front on Carson. And that's the, that was the plum job. Uh, writing the monologue and writing the show has something to do, but the monologue is very specific, right? You, you, the, the host comes up and actually reads from cue cards that are written by the writers and everything else. There are There is some writing, but it's more impromptu. It depends on what the guest gives you. And sometimes that's predictable and sometimes that's not. And then um, they started to work on the kids show and I started to get to know them when we became friends. Daryl and I are long suffering uh, Cowboys and Leaf fans together. So every time something happens, he and I email. We still do that to this day. You and they're in LA. Daryl's here for a while, but they're in LA, and they're 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 still really good friends of mine. Wow. Okay. And so then, let me. That's amazing. I I love and I love that you infuse it with little bits of history too. Um. Let me backtrack a little bit. So I've never sure. really heard of somebody getting into producing from the accounting side of things. Normally, you know, somebody becomes an assistant producer from you yeah. know a film film studies whatever. So how difficult was it for you to? move from accounting into producing once you realize that this is kind of where you want to stay. And it sounds like it kind of organically happened with you, or did you really take, like put all your efforts in to say like, these are the different departments that are in my view and I really want to get into this. So I'm going to move from accounting into producing. You know, I don't know that I, I like plan for it. There was an opportunity to do it on school bus. And I, I kind of, from my vista of what was going on with the show, from a production standpoint and a cost standpoint, there was an opportunity to come in and actually, and, and that helped me build a relationship with Scholastic. And then we can, I continued to build it, which was the entire job there. And they said, you should just produce this show. And then, yeah. you know, I said, I thought, okay. And then they, when it turned out that I, um, that I was able to do that, then they said, let's see what you can do with the script. And it turned out, but that was something I enjoyed too and worked really well with uh, well with the writing team on. And then it just became, um, you know, something that surfaced was my pleasure, my ability to deal with um, more, more than ability. I actually very much enjoyed dealing with creative people, yeah. how they thought about different ways to make a point in film. And um, it was a terrific opportunity because I was at Nelvana and I'm still close friends with many people who were my colleagues at the time. And it was a magical time. There was a company that was growing, doing different things. And it had a lot of talented people, both on the creative side and on the production side. And there was a lot of great, there, there wasn't always alignment with, you know, with production and, and creative, but there was a lot of alignment with production. It was, a, it was a magical school bus time. <laughs> it was a magical school bus time indeed. So it sounds and, like, it sounds like you were kind of seeing opportunities in front of you and saying yes. And people were noticing that you were doing like a good job and giving you more opportunities. 
I'm yes. wondering when was there an internal shift? Because you were you were at Nelvana for quite a few years, and I think you yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, when was there an internal shift to say like, this is actually what I want to do, and now I'm gonna do things on my kind of on my own? Because you you started Nine Story, which is a huge company now, and so. How do you, how did you go from working in a position full time to saying, now I want to risk everything and go full forward with this in my own path? Yeah. Well, you know, the answer is more good luck. Uh, in, <laughs> luck. Okay. In, in, in uh, 2000 or 2001, um, there was a show called Peep in the Big Wide World that was a partnership with WGBH Boston and um, Alliance Atlantis. And they were going to produce it together, co-produce it. And there was an allocation of rights that I won't bore you with. And then they were looking for a producer. I mean, I'm kind of interested about rights too. I'm going through some of that myself, but that's another podcast. Uh, okay, okay, we can do that again. Uh, but they, they were looking for a, for a production house and then a producer who had some experience that. And GBH was um, looking for a producer and interviewed five or six people. Most of them actually... A couple of them had actually reported to me when I was at Nelvana because I had a supervising producer when I left. And, um, um, and they, I got to know uh, Kate Taylor and Marissa Walski there. And they said, the job is yours if you want it. The only thing we're worried about is you may be overqualified for it. And I said, if I'm going to do the job, I'll do it. If I'm, like, if I'm overqualified, I will bring all the qualifications I need to do this job. And they said, okay. And they went on board. And then, um, you know, many things changed economically in 2001 as a result of September 11th. The market pattern was really impacted. And one of the things that changed was that Alliance Atlantis said they were no longer going to produce shows. They would distribute them, but not produce them. So GBH needed a production partner. And I said, I can be your production Wow. Partner. And uh, my partner and I started the company at the time. So wait, um, I'm, I'm super curious about this moment. What made them trust? What made them trust you to say like, you know what? There's other production companies out there. Um, we, we know these guys, we like them, but we're going to take this big risk of investment and put it into Vince. Yeah, that's a very good question because when I look back, I wonder about that now too, but I think, <laughs> yeah. excuse me. <laughs> I think at the time, you know, my objective is working with them was to actually try to get the show produced and we went to other studios and tried to work with them and nothing seemed to work for them in terms of a partnership. So um, I said, look, I can start a studio. I almost, I remember the day was on a, almost made an offhanded comment saying, I can do this guys. I can start hire the key creative and rent the space. I've had experience in all this. I had a brief career in real estate before I worked in, uh, in animation. And I said, we can rent the space know how to do the cost reports. It's where I come from. We can report to you all the time. It's, it's something we can do. And I have a business partner with me who's really skilled at the finance side. And the two of us, and I'll work on the producing. He'll work on the financing piece. I'll be your main point of contact. And I think what they really appreciated about me until that point was that I'd been very responsive. Yeah. Whenever they had issues and I got a call from them, I either took the call. And if I didn't, I responded to them. I called them back right away and we had a and I think that that was, um, and then that we built trust. We had an opportunity to build trust and um, that, that worked out well. That worked out oh. very well. What gives so, you the confidence to say like, I can do this? Because, you know, that takes a lot of guts to, uh, to, to even, I mean, for me, maybe it's a little bit of naivety, a little guts, a little courage, you know, like. 
yeah, I, I just felt like I could. I, I, I understood the critical path of production. I understood what resources were needed, yeah. you know, from a, from a human standpoint, which are always challenging in this business. Most of the costs of going into animation really, but of any uh, production is human. So the, the, I said, what are the human resources we needed? And I uh, found the creative talent that worked for the show and I vetted that through them. And I was confident about that because that's experience I'd had in the past. I knew I secured some space at the time. That was a much different proposition than it is today, thankfully. And um, I knew what technology we were using. It was, was uh, at the time we used Flash, and that was uh, just new to market. And yeah. we were actually one of the first companies to use Flash to produce a show. Wow! And I had come off a brief tech experience where where I was using Flash. So I was familiar with the technology. So that that. Um, you know, it was a perfect storm of events, Terry. If I, if I think about it now, it's something that I don't think would ever be recreated. But, yeah. you know, the fortune smiled on me and I stepped in. I was, I was, yeah, but you were also actively taking things serious and pursuing this too. Like, you know, yeah. you were perfect place, perfect time, but you were also the perfect guy. It sounds like this. So, and, and <laughs> let's fast forward a bit because Nine Story is a big company now. Yeah. So you, from the beginning days, you already had uh, a client, you had a show, did you ever go through any like super rough patches in those early days to try to figure things out? Like maybe you can share some of the, I don't know, unexpected or expected things that have happened over the years of, of really picking and figuring out this business. Yeah. Um, well, early in the business, we were still producing uh, peak, but we were coming on the tail end of it. We started, we did another show. I'm going to leave names out just for, for uh, uh, discretion. But we did it with a company that um, was board game driven and was trying to expand the IP into content. And they came to us and said, we'd love to work with you on this. And we said, okay, are you committed to doing the content or is this something you're dabbling with as you go into other areas of IP extension? They said, no, no, we're committed to doing the content. And the company was invested in by with a PE firm. And um, that PE firm was committed to the company's vision. Then halfway through production, not even halfway through production, probably a third of the way through production, they, we couldn't get a hold of them. We couldn't get a hold of them. And I remember being on a business trip. I can't remember where I was in the business trip, but I remember I was overseas. I think it was, it was in London. And... Um, they called and said, look, and my, my point of contact there said, look, I've just been let go. They're not doing this now. And that company's leadership had been removed and the original founders had, had been brought back. And I was able, I, by chance, Terry, I met the founders at a market at, at TV years past and I had their contact information. So I called them and said, you guys have a cancellation fee you've got to pay us. They had no idea what we were talking about. And I said, I'm going to fax you. You know, that's how long ago it was. I'm going to fax you the contract and highlight on the contract where you've got to pay us. And eventually they paid us. But yeah. we had payrolled. And we could make one payroll. And we got paid just before wow. the second payroll that we could not cover was due. That's we scary. couldn't have covered without the payment. So it was touch and go. I remember it being you know, the month of uh, May of 2007. I really didn't sleep. 
that month. Yeah, I wouldn't have <laughs> any so, hair left after that experience. Oh my gosh, it was. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I remember. I, I remember May. I don't remember June because I think I was asleep during all of June. Which we're starting to recover, but but we got through it, and then we got some other productions going, and then we we were able to build a business. We were lucky. I have a, a thousand questions, but just maybe just as a roll on this question, what is ninety nine percent of your time spent doing now? As you know, like in your position where you are over the years, what has it evolved into? Well, you know, I'm, we're in a place right now where I have a really fantastic senior leadership team. They do a lot of the heavy lifting. And my, my job really is to interact with them, both in terms of figuring out how I can help them do their jobs and also how, how we attack the market. And we face this kind of um, mixed these mixed challenges in that we're making shows frame by frame. We green light a show. It's 18 months later before it's delivered. Yeah. In 18 months, there's been so much change in the marketplace in, in the way the content is being consumed and how you try to break through with content and what you're trying to do with your specific content in the landscape. You really have to both be steadfast in what you're doing and kind of consistent with it and be ready to change, drop on a dime. And I think about that at all times. So my job is really to think about how, excuse me, how are we going to attack the marketplace? Yeah. And I think about that every day. Yeah, because traditionally animation was on TV and feature films and that was it. But now like, I don't know, in the last year you have TikTok exploding and like, you know, that's a new platform that people are exploring and there's new stuff all the time. It's super interesting to be like, our product takes so long to create. And then by the time we put on the market, it may not even be worth what it is anymore. How do you, how do you predict where things are going and where you should be, like you said, attacking the market or finding, you know, um, partners or putting stuff out there? Like, <laughs> uh, you know, all you really can do is take the best available information available to you. Yeah kind of think about what's happened to that point and then make your best guess yeah. as to where we're going to be a year, two years, three years out and, and determine your strategy accordingly. We've you- changed, we've changed our, what we call our strategy, what our strategic construct three times in the last seven years. Wow. Do you find it's really difficult to be more agile as such a big company versus like, you know, if you're a small team, you can go with the flow much more easier. Instead, you're having to direct hundreds of people into a specific way. So uh, the answer that's yes and no, uh, I, I feel like the hundreds of people that work for us, you know, there's a consistency in that if we make great content, we're going to build a better mousetrap era. If we make great content, the world will be the path to our door. And if anything we're doing during that time that's been consistent is how do we get better? How do we, how does the content level, quality level increasingly get better all the time? What does that, what does that mean in kind of practical terms, like better, better quality? Well, it means, it means a couple of things. First, are our processes optimized, right? Can we look at the points of, of a creative review yeah. in our pipeline and say, can we improve them? And then two, is the technology we're using optimal and how we're using it all the way through? And then really three, are our people perfectly aligned with the creative on every show? Yeah. And that's, a, you, never, you never say yes to that. You never want to say no either. You want to say, 
it's a work in progress all the time and the quality of that work in progress determines everything. And then you think, you know, when you, when you make a show that's yours, someone described it today and you'll excuse the analogy as when you develop a show, you're, you just got pregnant, starting development. When you're producing the show, you just, you've given birth to it. Then you have to raise it. And you have to realize that, you know, you, delivering the show, if it's your show, is not the last part of it. You now have to bring it into the world. And in a world of unlimited shelf space where you're not working towards a slot and promotion anymore, that's, and, and, and okay, digital awareness is, is where you, know, you create, the digital landscape is where you create your awareness. I mean, that becomes a very fluid exercise that involves a myriad of activities. And those are, those are things that change day to day. And you have to have great people that are aware of those changes and that respond to them quickly. Yeah. I, I mean, like people are so important. I'm wondering, you kind of touched on this, but like, maybe you can give me an idea for kind of the formula for your business, because, you know, you, you're selling, I don't know, you're selling hot dogs that has a, a biz, its own business model. You're selling software that has its own business model. You're selling animated cartoons that has its own business model. What if, what makes, what did you have to learn? And especially because like you come from the banking world and real yeah. estate world, which is totally different. Like what is the, I guess, bread and butter formula for making and selling cartoons that you had to figure out for yourself over the years? Well, let, uh, I'll go to, I'll go to the Sorry. banking analysis. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I, feel, I, I just want to like, uh, I don't know what I'm saying, but speaking to you, I feel like, you know, you've really learned this because you've taken nine story from like a couple people into like one of the biggest animation studios there is today, which I think is amazing. So I think it's a really, for me, it's like a really cool, it's like, I'm super interested to like hear your answer of how you, how you have done this. <laughs> well, um, well, you know, this is going to sound, uh, let, let me use the analogy, an analogy that from a place where you and I both come from. Sure. <laughs> when you create a film or a television show, it's a film asset, right? It is an asset. And like many assets, their values derived by a certain type of activity. This assets, these assets value is derived primarily through the relationship it creates with an audience. Yeah. So I focused on creating factors of production and infusing with the creative, with people that are top end creatives that know how to build relationships with the audience through these assets. Interesting. And we have to keep repeating that process. Because if you do that, that relationship's extendable beyond the television show from the base IP, and you can create something of real value monetarily. But, you know, so many people want to get to the toys or get to the extension. And unless you create that initial relationship, you're going to fail in doing that. Yeah. That is fundamental to it. So we are primarily content producers with an eye to building franchises. And we actually target the shows that we believe can be franchises, but we never skip to that. We always understand that the only way that happens is that the content is of the greatest quality and has a real chance at building a relationship with its audience. Wow. So you would say that you're in the business of building relationship with an audience and your strategy to do that is to find 
creative people who have a knack for doing that. What is, that's so interesting to me because like, you know, from the animation side of things, you're like, I want to create a film and you like have an idea and you create it. And then you're like, now what? Right. But you start with like, what is the, how do we create a relationship? How do you look for people that have a knack for this? Like, well, I, I would argue we have that creative team in place. Yeah. In, you know, in, in, in New York, we have a, a team of, um, writers and producers and creators that actually have done this all the time. In Dublin, we have a team of animators and artists who understand this too, one of the best production facilities in the world. And in Toronto, we have a same, the same team of high-end creatives who are really good storytellers. All the way through, and there's good storytellers everywhere. So we, we uh, amass those creative resources and create an environment where they could flourish. Hmm. And all these things, you know, I love to say to other people, everything we do, everything we do, there's not anything I'm going to share with you that's not easily understandable because they're simple concepts, but they're really hard to do. Yeah, totally. And, and don't confuse simple with easy. This is really, really hard. And it's a commitment. And much like, you know, we discussed earlier in terms of, you know, are we, how do we get the quality level up and up? It's always a work in progress. And I think if you ask members of our teams who are on all sides of production, they'll tell you the same thing. We've never arrived anywhere. We can always get better. Totally. Yeah. That's, that's so interesting to me. Um, I'm wondering, are there any like key things that you've learned through, cause you're on the production side of things. Are you also involved in like the creative, the creative side of things too? Or you said you have a, a really good team that kind of handles that. I'm just wondering if there's anything that you've learned specifically over the years, like do or do nots that specifically, work or do not work when creating this relationship or even creating a relationship. And then, you know, when you can't figure out the partners for it, because I think there's also a difference between creating something that people love that people don't want to pay for to creating something that people love that you can sell. Yeah. You know, that, that's an interesting point because that's, what's playing up in the marketplace today is something that is on YouTube that people love, but don't want to pay for. Yeah. Will that work when you try to sell it? Yeah. The answer is we don't know yet. Maybe. Have you taken any, because what I see is there's a little bit of a surgence of creators from YouTube getting contracts to make TV shows. Like I know yes. Adult Swim is like doing this like every day almost. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And, you know, you're talking about now uh, the area that we, we've dabbled in, but not in that's prime time animation content. Yes. Um, yes. I, I think you have to look at some shows that have come from, or some IP that's come from YouTube that's been tremendously successful. And you're, you know, you would be ill-advised to ignore that trend today. It's totally. something that, that um, is but even going to be in our landscape forever. Yeah, there's even preschool shows. Like, uh, I don't know if you've heard of The Tiny Chef, which is like a little green, like that was just an Instagram kind of project by an amazing team, but now it's being fully produced into a TV show. So it's like, yes. they're, we're, producers are taking content that's freely available and yes. then putting more production money behind it to make it paid, I think is super interesting. Do you see, like, uh, maybe you can speak a little bit more to, you know, what do you see at the forefront of children's animated content being a kind of like the position you are in the future? Yeah. So I think a couple of things, first of all, that what you described as a trend, I think you'll see more and more of, or something that comes off of, um, the imagination of individual or a group of individuals that has made 
kind of, you know, how you've heard so many companies start in their garage type of thing in terms of content, but it, it garners a following and that becomes a valuable piece of IP. Then that, you know, those individuals will probably partner with a, you know, a company in the space. And then the IP is, is delivered in content that's of higher quality and it becomes that quote unquote paid content that you were talking about. Yeah. Um, so I think you'll see that trend more and more. But from our point of view, we, we're, we're mission driven. We have to feel like every time we produce a show, there is an answer to the question, why this show, why now? Yeah. Otherwise, we don't really think we should produce it. And, you know, the answer is, why this show, why now plus two years? Because it's going to be delivered in two years. Right. <laughs> right. So you have to think about that too. And, and now also, you, you know, when you delivered shows in the past and they were going on linear broadcasters, when you had one episode ready, you delivered that first episode knowing that, you know, you have a stream of episodes. Yeah, you got more talents. Now you, now you have to say, you have to have a bulk amount of them ready so they can drop that and maybe perhaps the whole season. So now it's even at the, at the, the further down the production schedule where you could deliver to your partner. So that becomes a bigger challenge. But I feel like everyone's got to, to, as a producer, you have an opportunity, kind of an obligation to define your place in the landscape. Why are you doing the shows you're doing? What are you trying to do? Yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually curious about that because, I mean, I don't know how to say this in a different way, but you have a lot of power over what kids especially are experiencing through their content. So are, is there something specifically that you're trying to get across, like themes or you know, um, storytelling elements that you want to connect with kids in the world that you're trying to create with what you're doing. Because, you know, you love animation, you have this whole business background, but is there like a, is, is there like a higher purpose to what you're doing at the end of the day? Yeah. I, I think, you know, when we look at our objectives, we're trying to create good citizens for the future. We're really trying to inform them in, some one way or another of a social issue hmm. that needs to be that our humble estimation needs to be addressed. That's what that's how we answer the question. But we understand fully that that has to be delivered in a method that is acceptable to the audience. And that method or that form changes. Uh, let me can I expand upon that for a little bit. So at the beginning of the pandemic, kids were all home. And you're dealing with that mood of you don't have to go to school anymore. And there's, you know, there's mixed reactions, but it's mostly euphoria. Kids are thrilled. I get to stay home. <laughs> and yeah. So you, they wanted content. They would take content that would be, you know, whatever it was that would help them learn so they could watch it. And educational content was something that kids really consumed at the time. Now we're two years in. And I, I think there's been a lot of um, feeling that, this has been a tough time, even among the, amongst adults, certainly, but certainly among kids, among kids too, because what adults feel trickles, of course, it's their world becomes their world. So they really want to experience or learn the things they learn through entertainment that is joyful and that's fun. So we now are really focused on making sure that whatever else we do in delivering messaging to you, it's going to be delivered in a vehicle, in, which is our content, a fun and joy. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's fundamental today. We've, we've actually seen some, some studies saying, kids saying, please stop with all the bad news. 
We just want to go back to being kids and have some fun. Yeah. And we think we can help. So is this something you're having conversations with, uh, with your partners and broadcasters when you're proposing shows and stuff too? Like, yes. listen, like, so have you, have you done like, I mean, like I can anecdotally come up with these things myself, but you know, when you're investing so much money into something that you want to pay off, are you doing a lot of research? And, yes. and so like, can you describe that a little to me too? Cause you have to direct a whole team to, to have like a very clear vision and to like have that clear we, vision. You need to know. What you... We have a dedicated research team in wow. New York and we develop, when we develop shows, that team in a myriad of ways, depending on the content and what's available to them in terms of um, uh, people to help with the research, mm-hmm. conducts research. And we do it as we develop, we do it as we produce, and we do it once we've delivered. So if we go into a second season, we get an understanding of the direction we need to go in. Gotcha. So when I, when I uh, have the ability to share these trends with you, these are things that we've heard of from that, from our audience. And they're really, we've somehow figured out a way for them to be representative of the audience at large. That works for us. It really does. So let me, let me like change the mood a little bit. You know, you've, you've uh, shared how you got into this from your past. You've shared like the landscape, how you built this business, et cetera, et cetera. How does it feel like sitting here talking with me? How does it feel have to have built this career and what you've done fell into it in a random way and fell in love with it? And (laughs) <laughs> Tell me well, the, the, the first feeling I have is one of appreciation. I, I you know, I, I don't, I don't know that I would have enjoyed my career as much having done anything else. And mm. I don't lose sight of that. And I work, you know, I always thought about business, uh, you, what you do for work life as you, you get paid. That's as a form of capital, of course. Right. But there's other capital too. There's interpersonal capital and intellectual capital. Who do I get to deal with? And what am I learning along the way while I'm getting paid? Because we've all had experiences, I've had experiences in my life where I get paid okay, but I really hate everything I'm learning. And I don't like going and interacting with people, not because they're bad people, but I don't like the topics we're talking about. I don't like just how we have to look at the world. Whereas uh, I don't think there could be higher forms of capital in the regard of interpersonal intellectual for me. I learned a great deal doing this and in my position, a leadership position. And I've had the benefit of interacting with so many great people. You know, the, the kids production business and, and mostly animation, you know, I used to, we used to call it a traveling roadshow. We used to go to markets in Miami and then we'd see each other a couple of weeks later in France and then uh, six months later. And I remember a friend who, who'd never come to uh, Cannes before where one of the markets is in MIPCOM. And, she's, and she said to me, oh, I've never been to MIPCOM before. And she's in the kids space. I said, you're not at MIPCOM. You're in Cannes in the bubble of the kids animation business, which is uh, filled with a t- terrific group of people. If you're not a good person, and don't want what's best for kids with the content, you're not going to fit in. It self-selects. That is very different than the rest of the television market that's here, I assure you. So don't think you're at the, the big television market. You're at the traveling bubble that is the kids market. And it's a wonderful, it's a it's a wonderful cocoon. Um, and uh, I've forgotten your question. I was just asking how it feels to it, you know, it, do that, this sorry, that's you. So that, that part of it feels great, being able to deal with those big people of that, of that quality and being able to make something that you think will... Uh, hopefully 
have an impact on a child for the better. Yeah. Um, that's what it's all about. That feels great. I, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm fortunate. And I love coming to work every day and I love coming uh, and, and speaking to the people I get to speak to on a daily basis. Amazing. So maybe let me ask you what's next for you um, in this career path or nine story in general, like, you know, is there something that you're working actively towards as I feel like you've, you've already hit like pretty, pretty peak, but like, you know, well, you know, more of the same, I really enjoy what I'm doing and I'm lucky to have the opportunity to do it every day. There is going to be a time where there's going to be need to be a fresh perspective from this seat. I'm not, that's not, you know, in the next little while anyway, in the near term, but I really enjoy what we're doing. And as the company has grown, we've been able to um, try to tackle greater challenges in what we are trying to accomplish. And that's going to come, that's going to continue to come. And what's wonderful is those are a function of people. And we have, in my estimation, the best people in the business at this company. Nice. Well, you don't have me yet. And I'm just kidding. What is Maybe what is something? You're not far away. Yeah, come on over. over. (laughs) Maybe what is something that you're actively working on to take, you know, what you're, is there like a skill that you're lacking or you need to, you know, that you're actively working on to take your stuff to the next level or, you know. If if you're asking me what personal skills. I'm just just wondering, you know, is there something that, yeah. (laughs) Is there something that you're like, I need to work on this to get to the next level. Cause, cause you know, I, I feel like there's sometimes there's, there's like this impenetrable idea of the people at the top. They know what they're doing. They're amazing. They've figured it all out. But I, like a big part of running this podcast for me was, you know, reading Wikipedia articles and director or studio owner was born, went to school. And now they're at this amazing place. And then also understanding that they're just real people and they're just kind of like me. Yeah. So there's something that, that you're actively, you know, working on is, well, Oh, yes. So, you know, as the stakes get higher, you know, business gets bigger, the stake gets higher, you, you really take on the fact that what you do can make, you know, can make or break the company moving forward. There's yeah. going concern risk. And I'm constantly getting coaching on how to deal with it. One of the things I've learned is in this job and mostly senior jobs, we're all smart people. Lots of people can do that. But your success or failure depends on a couple of things. First, what, what emotion do you bring to the job and how do you direct that emotion on a consistent basis towards hmm. propelling the business forward? And I actually have coaching around that and have people who help me co- consistently around me in that regard. What do, you mean by, what do you mean by emotion? What emotion do you bring? You have to bring, look, everything that involves positivity yeah. involves Sorry, everything that involves growth requires positivity. Just logical, logically, you think about how can something be this big and that big? That's a that's a pot, it's a plus something. So by definition, it needs to have positive input. Hmm. So no matter what challenges you have, you have to accept them and approach them with positivity. You have to be authentic. You know, I, we you and I talked just before we got on air, and I, I discussed you're having success because I've, I've done a little bit of work on you, you don't, you're having success success because you love this space and yeah. you bring your authenticity with that love and your personality to it. And you said, you're surprised. I'm equally surprised <laughs> in terms of what's happened with me. And that's happened mostly because both of us have 
had the wisdom or, you know, had happy accidents so that we've been in positions where we bring our positivity and our authenticity to it. And then the last thing that I notice you do as well, you have to listen and not just be a good listener, but you have to listen in that there are nuggets everywhere. I find myself sometimes having long conversations and I leave with one or two data points that change everything I was thinking about a topic just before that. And if, if you can't do that, you really can't be in the seat. So if you think about that and unpack it, there has to be a constant willingness. In fact, you have to seek out uh, information that suggests that what you're thinking right now is wrong. That is not a small thing to do, right? Most people want to feel confident about what they're doing. And then you have to put all that together and be right 51% of the time. Yeah, wow. Uh I really like what you just said. I try to like, I've had so many chats and I always try to take, cause everybody has a different perspective. And I, I learn something new every single time I talk to somebody. And sometimes I'm like, I'm not going to learn anything new. It's going to be an average talk. And then something sticks out to me. And what you just said about, you know, if you're trying to grow, you have to add, you have to add positivity to that and to actively do that, that, that uh, I've never heard it so succinctly said before, but you know, like, I'm just trying to think like when I'm trying to do something new. I go through all these different emotions, rejection, you know, aspirations, blah, blah, blah. But if, if, if I actively try to think of it in a positive way, then those two things are more aligned and maybe success is more likely to happen. I really like what you just, what you just said. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about that later as I'm actually trying to make something happen right now, which is... It, it, it's <laughs> learning that comes from the school of hard knocks, I assure you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing, you know, all your wisdom and story, et cetera. I'm wondering if somebody's listening right now, or even just me, and they want to end up in a similar position to you, or they're, you know, trying to explore some opportunities and turn them into, uh, you know, something that they can make into a successful career. What is something that you would say has helped you a lot and that, you know, I can take away and focus on maybe tonight or tomorrow or next week that will help build me a regimen to get there? Yeah, I think the first question you ask yourself is, do you really have a love for this? Do you really want to do this? You know, mm-hmm. I ask, whatever this is, do you really want to do it? Do you want to get, do you get up every day and are you enthused and charged about doing it? And then if so, you will do it with every fiber of your being. But more importantly, or as importantly, I should say, you'll go out and acquire in a myriad of ways the skill set necessary to do it. And be conscious of that journey. Sometimes those things happen to you and you're not conscious of them and you'll be, and you'll have realized that after the fact, but it will go better and it will go easier if you're conscious along the way. Try to make yourself conscious of that journey. That would be the the first primary tool that I would, I would encourage people to develop. Yeah. Well, I, I super reiterate that (laughs) as well. Um, thank you so much for sharing everything. Is there anything you, else sir. you wanted to um, talk about or end off on? As well, if anyone about? wants to uh, take a look at our prop, our shows and what we're doing, please go to www.ninestory.com. And uh, if I, there's a, a opportunity on that website to inquire, to ask questions about what we're doing or see if there's, if you're interested in working with us, we'd love to hear from you. Um, but um, yeah, besides that, I think, I think we're in good shape. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to include that link in the description of this chat. So please check that out. And thank you so much, Vince, for coming on. It's been a pleasure chatting. Thank you, Terry. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And that's all for now. Okay. Bye.
The music for this podcast was composed by Will Farmer and the graphics by Daniel Abensauer. I encourage you to look them up if you enjoyed their work.